Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Fearless Questions podcast, where we follow our questions to freedom. I'm your host, Jeff Blackburn, and today we have our special K edition of the show, where we are waking up the echoes of both St. John and Market Square Arena to welcome in the lead college basketball analyst for CBS Sports, Clark Kellogg. Greetings, and thanks for joining us today, Clark. Oh, greetings, Jeff. Great to be with you, and good to finally connect. I know we had and we had attempted to, to do this a little earlier, so I'm glad that we're able to, to finally make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, um, Clark is an individual with just a, an incredible resume. Um, you're a beloved member of the Buckeye Nation and a, a trustee of The Ohio State University. You've been an All-American and an MVP on just about every basketball team you've played on. You've been a first-round draft pick in the NBA and uh, averaging 20 and 10 as a rookie. Not bad. Until not long ago, um, you were the VP of Player Relations with the Pacers and maybe spent 30-some years connected with the Pacers, I think. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had a great um, run there, Jeff. And then now you've got uh, my kid's favorite is that you're one of the voices of the NBA 2K (laughs) video game series. So your voice is always in our house. And uh, while I've really enjoyed your work uh, broadcasting the NCAA tournament, so which the with the college basketball season really starting to hit stride now, I imagine your busy schedule uh, gets dialed up even a little crazier than usual. Oh yeah, I go from about fifty miles an hour um, from really October, late September, early October when I start preparing in earnest, and then once we get to January, it's about seventy-five miles an hour. I'm somewhere typically every weekend, either calling a game or in the studio in New York for CBS, and then obviously during the week um, watching and digesting and thinking about basketball uh, hours at a time every day. So it's um, full immersion, full immersion <laughs> until until we crown a champion. Um, this year we'll be out in Arizona um, the first week of April, and after that um, it goes to about 40 miles an hour for me overall. Okay. Well, I appreciate you making the time. I know you got tied up in the airport last night, too, so uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's part of it, Jeff. You can't control what you can't control. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate you sharing your time with me today, Clark. And, um, you know, most recently we connected at the EdgeX Leadership Conference, which is a a really solid event that was held here on the north side of Indianapolis, where you operate as the MC of the events. And... um, which was a great time. And, yeah. and speaking of leadership, maybe let's just uh, start in there today that, um, you know, I've seen your involvement in a number of leadership organizations, including that EdgeX conference, but are there consistent themes that you've seen taught and, and lived out by the great leaders you've engaged with over the course of your playing and broadcasting career that have, that have stood out to you? Yeah, I think there's some fairly universal principles around leadership, effective leadership, whether it's um, dads in their homes Uh, moms in their homes, men and women in their community, whether it's um, overseeing an institution or a business. I think there are a few consistent themes that that resonate with me on a personal level. Um, One of them is authenticity. Uh, I see really good leaders being true to who they are, having a real sense of who they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. I see see humility in in leaders that I admire and that are effective. I also see an other-centeredness in that leaders that resonate with me and, and oftentimes are effective are, are really not only authentic and humble, but they want to see those that they're in charge, that the, those that are entrusted to their, to, to their leadership uh, do their best. 
become the very best they can be. And that's a that's an other centeredness to where you uh, recognize your role and, and your gifts and strengths, but you really want to try to uh, bring out the very best in, in other people. And then the other thing is just a consensus, consistency of, of purpose, uh, which is um, a work in progress for all of us, I think, mm. determining what your purpose is, what your role and responsibility is in any given position you have, and then really um, consistently um, staying true to that and, and staying uh, mindful of that. So those are things that, that I try to emulate um, in some of the leaders that I've looked at over the years. Mm, mm. Um, well, speaking of the leaders that you've kind of encountered over the years, you've had the honor to interview uh, the president of the United <laughs> States a number of times. I mean, yeah. uh, even playing a game of horse or maybe it was POTUS. With, uh, yeah, we called it POTUS. <laughs> on, the, uh, on the White House grounds, we, had to call, we called it POTUS. Yeah, I mean, could you describe what stood out to you from those experiences of interviewing, you know, what many people would consider – the most powerful man in the world. I think you even had David Cameron one time at the same time. Yeah, so two of the most powerful did. people. We did down in Dayton um, as we were kicking off the first four of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Prime Minister Cameron at the time and, and President Obama were there, and I had a chance to interview both at halftime. Uh, the first thing that really um, jumped out and jumps out for me when people ask me about that is what basketball's role was in that. Hmm. Uh, the fact that our president, our most our, our, our recent president, um, Barack Obama, um, had a great love of basketball and was heavily engaged in basketball and continues to be as a fan. I don't know how much he still gets out and plays, but I know at that time he was still occasionally um, getting out and getting involved in a pickup game. Obviously knows and, and loves and enjoys the game tremendously. I know one of his daughters, maybe both have played. Um, so basketball's role and presenting me with that opportunity uh, still blows my mind <laughs> that um, so much of what uh, my life has been about has involved basketball. I continue to, to earn a living as a commentator through the game. I've had wonderful experiences with coaches and teammates and people and fans and uh, just basketball's place and impact and influence in my life. And that was one of the real high watermarks to have that kind of an experience. And the other thing that, that really um, impressed me, um, or at least um, I think about is uh, one of the president's best friends is a uh, friend of mine. He grew up here in Columbus, um, is one of the president's closest personal friends. And um, the role relationships play in our lives, because I'm sure the relationship I had with this um, best friend of the president's was part of uh, what allowed me to have that opportunity um, to interact with the president those multiple times. Uh, because I'm sure um, there was some conversation being between the president and his, his, his best friend. And um, that connection, relationships oftentimes uh, have great influence in our lives. Uh, so that stood out. And then just the uh, authenticity of our uh, past president. Barack Obama, um, genuine. I mean, what you see in his uh, approach, his temperament, his demeanor, his uh, character and values, that was consistent throughout his presidency. And it was something I got to experience in those short windows firsthand. He's um, extremely bright, uh, easygoing, approachable, uh, real. And to 
be able to, to interact with him um, around basketball and get that feeling of um, who he was projected from a distance and then to have that validated up close um, is something that um, I look at really fondly and with a lot of admiration and respect and gratitude, quite honestly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it is strange to say former president now. It's only been a few weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. It's strange. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is different, no doubt. Now, the fix wasn't in on the game, right? Because my understanding is no, that no, he no, won. No, no, no. Yeah, he won. No, no fix, no fix. Um, I, was, I, was on, I had the early lead and was uh, rolling with a lot of positive momentum. Um, I pumped the brakes a little bit. I did do that. And, and he acknowledged that I had pumped the brakes intentionally, thinking that I would still be able to to get to the finish line first, but he got the momentum turned and, uh, and, and, and won it legitimately fair and square. I thought it made for good TV, but a number <laughs> of my um, basketball peers still um, look at me with disdain for not um, coming out on top. Well, hey, that's how it is every week in college basketball, right? People get ahead by 20. <laughs> next thing you know, they let up. Yeah, the other man. team comes roaring back. That's right. That's Momentum it. is a funny thing, Jeff. And it when is. You have it, you, when you have it, you got to ride it. And, <laughs> uh, you never know when it might slip away from you. So you need that modern Coach K chirping in your ear, keeping, keeping the intensity there. Don't back down. Maybe he's the president. Uh, you don't know, back down. I, I've thought about it a few times, and um, I don't think I would have had it play out any other way, quite honestly. <laughs> I think it ended up um, the president's proud and has something that he can um, hold near and dear to his heart in terms of a basketball experience. And I've got one that um, I'll cherish for a long time as well. No, nah, that's very that's a very cool story. I appreciate that. Well, you know, speaking of basketball, you've you've had obviously a very storied basketball career at every every level you've competed on, and you and Rosie also have three very athletically accomplished children. Um, you know, one of my first times I saw one of your kids playing basketball in junior high, but then one of the best things I ever saw was a so- like a high-level soccer game where I think it was Nick, but one of them yeah. flying yeah, across the middle with a, a header that I thought I didn't know someone <laughs> could jump like that in soccer. So <laughs> there was some pretty high-level soccer going on too. But um, yeah. yeah, but uh, with all of that, what were some of the more gratifying experiences in all of that, you know, with your family? And you, you can have a little wiggle room here, maybe one or two experiences that might fall in your top five. Man, um, you know, I tell you, the trips, going to the various practices or, or events, whether they were tournaments or just games, uh, it were really memorable and fun. Uh, being with our kids, seeing them compete and enjoy being part of a team. Uh, my wife and I, sometimes we could go together to watch them. Other times we had to split up. But just that time together around something they enjoyed, something my wife and I have always enjoyed, um, participation in sports. Uh, my wife was a good athlete in high school and volleyball and track and played a little basketball, too, and loved sports. And so just having that connection uh, with our kids and being able to be part of it as, as parents and supporting them and, and watching them, that's probably the, the, the real highlight. There's some individual experiences within the sports they played. Our daughter was volleyball. Um, she's the oldest of the three. Then Alex and Nick both played basketball and soccer at some point. And Nick played soccer at a really high level through his junior year in high school. Um, and we got an opportunity to go with him to, to, to England for a um, 15 and under World Cup competition and um, experienced um, Old Trafford Stadium and, um, playing on the grounds of uh, Manchester United's practice field. That's where the tournament took place. And uh, that was a, a once in a lifetime experience that we still um, talk about. Uh, seeing Nick have a chance to 
um, competed in the NCAA tournament and and, and, and Ohio University have a, a run to the Sweet 16 back in 2012 um, stands out. And then Alex and Talisa, just being all three of the kids actually had a chance, um, Jeff, to play in the um, state final four, um, Nick and soccer and basketball at DeSales High School here. Um, and Alex and Talisa, Alex in basketball with Nick when Nick was a freshman and Alex was a senior. And then Talisa played in the final four of the, the volleyball championships here in Ohio. So they didn't win, but they got a chance to, to get to that place. And um, that was pretty cool to have all of them have a chance to to taste uh, the final four in high school competition. Yeah, that's a very cool uh, experience for them. Unusual to have that much success for all of them. Yeah, yeah no, it was fun. It was really fun, man. We think about it on occasion, and uh, it just brings a smile to our face. It was busy and crazy and chaotic. Um, but a lot of good came out of their participation in sports and mm-hmm. all had a chance to, to get their college education paid for through sports. And we're thankful for that. <laughs> and um, just the fun of being together around uh, something that they enjoyed and um, excelled in to a certain level is um, gratifying and fulfilling for, for Rosie and I as parents. Well, that's that's serious road warrior work there. If you're doing all the, all the between soccer, basketball, and volleyball, that's you've, you've seen yeah, all the high school gyms around the country, probably. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> loved and loved every minute of it, man. Uh, loved every minute of it. Yeah, cool. Well, Clark, back in um, you know, your faith component. I understand you became a Christian back in maybe 1985, if I got that right. Yeah, 86. Yeah, it was actually oh, 86. 86. The the um, seeds were starting to be planted in, in, in 85, okay. um, spring of 86, but it was ultimately November of 86 that I um, gave my life to Christ okay. and um, started to walk according to the um, um, Word of God. Okay. Well, could you give us a little overview of maybe how you first engaged the story of Jesus and and how has that, that impacted you throughout your career? Well, there was a time when basketball was very much the center of my life. It's still a huge component, uh, and it was the driving force in my life. When I came to Christ in November of 86, that changed. Um, Christ became the center and driving force of my life, so it's had impact in every single facet of my life, as a husband, as a man, as a father, as a sibling. Everything that I am is filtered through and foundationed on um, who Christ is in me by faith. Uh, a local minister, local pastor at a church um, started conducting chapel services for the Pacers back in the uh, winter of 1985, spring of 86. And uh, over a period of time and some one-on-one or one-on-two discussions, he with me and he with uh, my wife and I, um, he began to just unfold the story of, of the gospel, the story of um, God's plan for uh, mankind and creation to uh, one, represent and reflect and resemble um, God, but we were unable to do that because of sin that um, is part of all of our lives. And Jesus Christ um, became God in the flesh and lived perfectly, died, was resurrected, and in him, through faith in him and his sacrifice for our sinful nature, that anyone can receive uh, the gift of salvation and new life, the renewal of the, the spirit man or woman within us to um, really be true to the purpose God called us to, and that's to represent him in the earth. So that word over time resonated with my heart, that truth of the word of God, that living active word. And um, in November of 86, late November of 86, I was at a point where I was ready to um, give myself to, to God's ways and plan and purposes through faith in Christ, accepting 
Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I've accepted the promise of becoming new from the inside out according to the scripture and have sought to um, live and walk that way um, since making that decision. Rosie did it at about the same time and uh, we did it individually, but it was pretty close together as we um, submitted our hearts and our lives uh, to the Lordship of Christ and have sought to, to, to walk in, in that way. And our children only know us as uh, Christ followers. Uh, Talisa was born in um, 87. Alex was born in 89. And Nick was born in 91. And we made our confession and uh, commitment of faith um, in November of 86. Um, right before I was, uh, you know, my, my career ended in 19. August of 87 is when I actually announced my retirement from the Pacers because of uh, knee trouble that wouldn't quite cooperate with rehabilitation. Mm. And so uh, it <laughs> was You got to be a little jealous of some of the trainers they get these days, right? Uh, yeah, there's some things that I've learned over the years that perhaps could have helped me. And yet I'm fine with having had the chance to realize my dream of being a pro player. I certainly wish it would have lasted longer my career. Um, but – my, with God in my life and at the center of it and in the foundation, um, his plan has worked out well for me. I'm still involved in the game, and I'm grateful. I, I believe in the sovereignty and the sea of God and um, um, the promises of his word as um, I follow hard after him. He'll give me a straight path to walk and give me wisdom and direction for, for my journey. And um, he sees well ahead of what I can see for myself, and I, I, and I trust him as as being sovereign and um, desiring um, what's best and, and, and good for me as um, as his child. Hmm. Well, you mentioned the you know trying to walk the straight path, and I you know I've, in the past I've heard you uh, ask for prayers for you and your family to represent Christ well. Is that has that been a weight for you through the years? I wouldn't say a weight, Jeff. I think it's more of a uh, responsibility, um, a privilege as well, but a responsibility. Uh, through my biblical and Christian worldview, I see my life as a gift and a stewardship, and it should, in fact, uh, represent who Christ is in me, uh, not just for me, but for those I, I have um, interaction with and have opportunity to, to influence. Uh, so I do feel strongly about that responsibility, and I really value and appreciate and believe in the power of prayer. And um, I'm grateful for those that across the country uh, pray for me and my family. Um, some of it is due to me being visible, but some of it is because of the relationships I have with our church family, um, the pastors that um, we've sat under, um, the friends we've developed who are also fellow believers. And um, I think it's important. I try. I pray for a lot of folks on a regular basis as well because um, Scripture teaches that prayer is, is powerful. Prayer is essential. To, to live in a, a, an effective life of faith and then uh, alignment and, and obedience to, to God through Christ. So, um, no, I do um, treasure uh, folks that, that take the time to, to, to pray for, for me and um, Rosie and our children. And I'm um, grateful for that. But I, I believe Pop strongly in, in that. On both sides, it's a two-way, me praying for others and um, others praying for me. Well, you mentioned, you know, you do, you have had a sort of a, a high profile life and, and so there's been some sense of responsibility you felt with, within your faith, but 
and I'm sure you've appreciated that, like you've mentioned, the, the many opportunities your career has offered you. But what are the, some of the things that you might tell people who aspire to notoriety that they may not have considered regarding maybe the real life impact of being a public figure? Yeah, you know, I, I would hope folks wouldn't aspire to notoriety. I look at my notoriety as a byproduct of a couple of things. One, the space that I'm in is highly esteemed in our culture and even around the world, sports. It's a glamorous world. It's a fun world. It's a competitive world. It's a uh, selective world in that not everybody has a chance to to play at the highest level or to coach at the highest level. There are a lot of different levels of participation in sports, but we know in general that it's good and highly esteemed and enjoyable and uh, beneficial in so many ways. Um, So my notoriety has come as a result of me doing well in that space as a former player, as a current broadcaster. And so that's just part of the uh, outcome of doing well in this space. So uh, I wanted to be successful in whatever I did. And if it meant that it might lead to notoriety, then I wanted to be able to handle that well. So I, what, I, what I would say to folks um, that may aspire to um, great success that might lead to notoriety is just to be um, diligent uh, in how you handle it recognizing the the privilege it is, but also the responsibility that comes with that. And it is a weight. And I've often um, wrestled, not wrestled with, but um, have thought about how it's um, sometimes maybe negatively affected um, those closest to me, Uh, my wife and our children, even my siblings growing up as I continue to get more attention for my prowess on the court. um, It became, it's a a tough thing for, for siblings sometimes to, to to deal with that for uh, my wife and um, our children to, to handle that because it's a, it's a sword that can cut both ways when um, you're a public figure that's done well um, people make certain assumptions they perceive you a certain way and that can sometimes uh, be positive and what it brings forth and sometimes it can it can bring out some um, um, some uglier um, reactions in people mm. and that's reality so um, there's um, there's benefits, um, great benefits. As a matter of fact, far more um, pluses than minuses. But there are some 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 trade-offs. Uh, there are some trade-offs, and sometimes the trade-offs are, are challenging and and difficult and manifest in ways that can be um, destructive for other people. So I would say don't um, don't rush into notoriety, but certainly try to be the best you can be in what you do. And if notoriety comes. I would just pray that you'd have that folks would would have the the wisdom um, to try to handle it appropriately and um, in, in a good way because mm-hmm. uh, there isn't there, there is something to to be in public uh, gracefully and um, consistently and um, it takes some work it mm-hmm. takes some work. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Um, you know, I imagine that being uh, an ambassador for the sport of basketball and being involved with the Buckeye Nation to the extent you are, would it'd be enough to keep an army of people busy. But it, it seems like <laughs> you and Rosie continue to stay involved in supporting a number of different organizations, doing great things in society. And could you just share a little bit about what drives you guys to stay so involved? Yeah, you know, that's one of the great challenges. Um, we all have opportunities to do good and uh, how we choose to, to invest ourselves and in, in, uh other people or organizations that are doing meaningful work is a great challenge. And the more opportunity 
you have, the more of a challenge it is to kind of determine what you'll say no to. I mean, because it's quite easy to say yes and be overloaded. And I've done that and continue to fight that that battle. On the other hand, um, stewardship is real and it's quite central in, in how I view um, our lives. And Rosie is the same. The platform we've been given, some of the resources that we have, the opportunities um, are somewhat unique to us, but um, in some ways are, are common to, to other folks that are maybe in a similar space in terms of um, visibility and platform. Um, so we just really want to uh, leave the world a little better because of us being around than it was when we, uh, as we lived, you know, mm. we, we, we have a real desire. And again, stewardship is a, is a great driver. And in my relationship, I, I sense it's, I, I really believe it's um, part of what God calls us all to, is to um, positively influence and impact other people. And there are a lot of ways you can do that. You can do it with your presence um, in terms of being able to support and be there for people. Um, you can do it with your uh, resources. Uh, you can do it with your time, uh, do it with your prayers. And um, so we try to do it in, in all of those areas uh, hmm. um, to uh, support folks that are that are doing uh, impactful, uh, life-changing, life-enhancing type things around education and um, faith, certainly. Uh, athletics, how we feel about uh, the value of participation there. And, uh, we don't lack, <coughs> we don't, <coughs> excuse me, we don't lack for, for opportunities to... Um, try to do good with what God has, has given us. Hmm. Well, uh, well, Clark, it sounds like even in your answers today, it sounds like you live a very deliberate, thoughtful life. And um, have you ever come across any situations in your life, especially given your propensity to be a thoughtful guy that have really challenged your faith journey and maybe even brought up some doubts about what God was like that were kind of hard to work through for you? Man, that's really a great question. And uh, on the, Second part of that question in regards to um, doubting um, God or wondering, um, there's a mystery that um, is uh, part of who God is. And um, I, I, I accept that mystery. I, I don't always like that. I don't understand it, but I do accept it. And therefore, it keeps me from um, having doubts. Um, I, I would wonder and, and, and question, I guess, more than doubt. Um, God's sovereignty and faithfulness, but there have been challenges um, in that uh, I wonder how am I how am I lining up my choices with what would most um, honor and, and please God there you know as a father, um, some of the decisions you make um, as a dad with your kids, um, those things sometimes bubble up um, and you wonder, are you heading in the right direction in that regard? My relationship with Rosie, it's just ever evolving as we've been married almost 34 years now and dated for three before that. So uh, continuing to evolve and really um, seek to be um, the, the godly husband that, that uh, I desire to be. And I, and I think that God would have me to be in, and meeting her needs and, and bringing out the best in her and uh, making her the crown of my glory, those things that the scripture speaks to. Um, a sibling that's been wayward, um, a younger brother that's been way, wayward due to the disease of addiction over uh, the last 25 plus years in his life. 
Uh, how can I uh, be helpful and remain hopeful? And yet there are certain parts of that journey that um, I can't really influence or impact. Uh, that's, um, you know, though that, that's a challenge. Um, siblings that uh, we just lost my father in July mm. and uh, have three sisters. And one was living with my dad and was quite close to him and how she's going to navigate um, this new chapter. Typical things that we all encounter. Uh, life doesn't discriminate in many ways. There are There is discrimination that exists, obviously, mm-hmm. um, whether it's around racial lines or gender or class, whatever it is, that does happen. We're human, and um, some of those ugly things still uh, persist. Uh, but there are some universal things that we all encounter as, as human beings, um, challenges within our family and our professional lives, adversity, things that we didn't anticipate or expect. Um, so those are just, you know, and, I, and those are just some of my, uh, some of the ones that, that have, um, you know, raised raised their head with, with us. And uh, we, we, we just try to lean into the Lord and, and walk by faith and, and um, continue to trust that, that God is faithful and that we have to do the things that we can and then also recognize those things that we can't do to um, affect situations or people and and trust God to, to fill in the gaps. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, so I so understand what you're saying. Pain does not discriminate, and having yeah. kids, uh, kids and family situations will certainly test your uh, faith very quickly in unexpected ways. And you know, in those in those situations, it really often for me just reminds me of um, you know the limitations that we have. As much as we've advanced as people and um, a nation with technology and knowledge and connectivity uh, god is still god and there's still a lot of room between uh, what god is able to do and what we can do mm-hmm. and so uh, I, I, I tend to keep that in mind uh, not that i won't question or um, seek answers but oftentimes in those places where i don't have specific answers i i just bow and and um, lean into the word of god and the counsel of, of, of godly men and women and, and, and try to move in that vein. Hmm. Well, Clark, you, you mentioned kind of in passing discrimination does happen sometimes. And I've only heard you allude to this a couple of times um, in the past uh, on issues surrounding maybe the systemic institutionalization of so many African-American citizens here in the States. And I know it's a big mm-hmm. conversation and, and honest, but it's honestly one I don't hear discussed very often and something that I assume might be informed on some level by your personal Christian worldview. Um, I wonder if it's something you might share a little bit about what you've come to see around this issue and that you think might be helpful for people listening to consider. Yeah, it certainly is framed by my uh, Christian worldview. Everything is for me. Um, I tend to try to take all thoughts captive to um, Christ and to through the filter of the word and the context of, of Scripture as I've as I, as I understand it and continue to grow in understanding it. And in um, the issue of, uh, and I tend to focus on African-American males because there's been a disproportionate um, number of that population that um, has been affected by um, institutional racism when you look at incarceration rates and education and the, and the, uh, and the lack thereof sometimes in, in some of our schools in the, in the, in the urban areas. Um, and even beyond the urban areas, but I tend to focus um, there. And then you you see a disproportionate number of uh, young African-American men oftentimes um, lacking the presence of a father 
um, in their formative years, which is critically important, and all of the uh, manifestations of that in, in negative ways uh, and how heart-wrenching that is. And that's the case for any young person that doesn't have an opportunity to realize his or her potential because of circumstances beyond their control. But I tend, as, as an African-American man, father, um, brother, uh, son, to my parents, I tend to, to kind of focus there. And um, the, the, the issue is really just acknowledging it and then being willing to step into to taking some action. One of the ways that, that, that I've sought to, and I know others have too, is through the, the um, path of mentoring. Uh, Edge X is a leadership uh, movement and initiative around mentoring, peer-to-peer mentoring, but there's also obviously the mentoring that's beneficial and valuable when you can grab a young person early that um, could use an adult friend uh, and use an adult example that's consistent and productive. Um, So it's a broad and deep uh, challenge, fairly complex, Mm -hmm. but uh, one that resonates with me. I've got friends that are um, on the ground in that kind of a work, so I seek to support them through prayer and resources, my presence. I'll occasionally uh, get to to juvenile detention centers where where some of these young folks have have gone off the tracks and and try to offer some encouragement and support. Um, So there are a lot of ways that you can do things. And that's what I I just try to look at ways that that I might be able to effectively help. And that would that would be my encouragement to to um, to other folks listening that um, if even if it's not this particular problem, we're talking about that now. But um, link arms with somebody that may be doing specific work in that area uh, and find a way that you might support it. Um, be mindful, be aware, uh, understand um, that dynamic, and then find ways that you might be able to um, to lend support to part of the solution and part of the changing of, of that narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked what you said there about just um, awareness even. I know that, um, uh, what was it, Ava DuVernay, I think, said that uh, she's the one that directed that new uh, Netflix documentary, 13th. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and uh, uh-huh. she said that, you know, we need to, it's important that we begin to recalibrate our vocabulary around these yeah. issues. Right, exactly. And yeah. um, I mean, for people who don't know, my statistics might be off, but I I think that the likelihood of being incarcerated for like a white man would be like one in 12. And my understanding for an African-American man would be one in three. So yeah, just, it's a big dig. It's a big gap. Yeah, and thirteen is a powerful documentary that frames it a little bit from a his well, a lot from a historical context, mm-hmm. and it's just a powerful uh, look at, at at what what we're talking about in terms of some of that institutionalization of that that dynamic and and how we can uh, one through awareness and education begin to start to attack it in some uh, meaningful ways at the root. Yeah. Well, Clark. You know, thanks so much for sharing some of your your journey with us today here um, and being open with us. And, you know, one of the things that I usually do when I'm wrapping up a conversation here is I I like to ask you what questions you wish more people were asking about. You know, are there any questions kind of percolating in your mind that that you'd love to see people spending more time wrestling with? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And uh, it it, it, it stirred up some thinking in me. I think one of them is is on the on the personal level of what is your particular purpose for your life? What is your purpose? I mean, that's a personal, that's not a broad, but it is broad in that when people have a sense of who they are and what their purpose is, it impacts how they go about living. 
Um, that's one that, that jumped out at me. What to, for people to wrestle with um, intentional purpose for their lives, and that to me gets to to faith. That gets to faith to wrestling with who is God, um, who is He in your life, who can He be in your life. Um, that's a question that I, I would love to see people um, uh, wrestle with. Uh, and then also the, the whole idea of common ground around humanity. Mm-hmm. There's so much divisiveness and there's so much vitriol that exists in many, time, in many cases around petty, insignificant things. But where is the common ground for the greatest good? Mm-hmm. People, I don't think, spend enough time there. There's frustration in life. There's disharmony. There's discord. But where is the greatest opportunity for optimal unity? How can you impact? How can we impact the greater good on a consistent basis in every area? And too often we get hindered or bogged down with what isn't versus what could be with a change in attitude and action. Uh, with the desire to, 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 to reach the optimal level of greatest good. And that's an individual question, but I think it's also a, uh, a, uh, a broader question for, uh, for our nation as times are, are changing. I mean, the pace of uh, globalization, climate change, connectivity, technology. Um, I'm reading Thomas Friedman's book, um, Thanks for Being Late. <laughs> an optimist's guide to thriving in the age of accelerations. And it speaks a lot about um, some of these things. And um, I'm only about um, 25% through it. But uh, it's causing me to, to, to really think a little broader and wider around uh, those kind of questions. Hmm. Well, Clark, you've been, you've been so generous today sharing your time. And, and I really do appreciate it. I appreciate your willingness um, to share some of the more personal sides of your faith journey with us as well. I think that's it's very meaningful for people to get a kind of behind-the-scenes look of what faith looks like in different people's walks of life and that it, you know, we, we share many of the same journeys in some ways, different in others, but there's consistent threads yeah. that you seem to flow yep. through. Yep, and I appreciate you giving me the platform and doing what you're doing because it does help. People's stories are really uh, beneficial to, to others. Uh, whether it's your personal testimony of faith, whether it's the uh, story of challenges or adversity or your successes. I mean, we all benefit from the stories of others. And um, to have a platform where where we can um, share my story and the story of other folks that you'll interview is, um, I think, is healthy and, and, and beneficial and uh, been a pleasure to, to visit with you. I've enjoyed it very much. Oh, good. Well, Clark, good luck with the uh, rest of this year's basketball season, and uh, I hope this March is your best one shining moment yet. Okay, I appreciate that, Jeff. We'll <laughs> give it our best effort, that's for sure. All right, thanks, Clark. Yeah, come. Yep, thank right. you. Bye bye.